Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Kings chapter 1. As you, uh, most of you know, we've been studying the life of David, and we're getting to the end of David's life, and that takes us out of 2 Samuel and into 1 Kings chapter 1. A, a really lengthy but extremely interesting episode in the life of David with a couple of twists and turns. Hopefully we can find our application and be ministered to uh, this morning. The text is going to be the entire chapter, 1 Kings 1, verses 1 through 53. I have confidence we can do this. The topic we're going to find there, part of it, is that David is old and he's so cold as he lies in his sickbed that a nurse must be found who will lie next to him to keep him warm. And so the title of our message is A Hotbed of Political Intrigue. There are a bunch of titles I could not use. Uh, the other alternate title was I'm Warming You, uh, which, but, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our morning. And again, Lord, we uh, come before you in prayer to humble ourselves, to humble our hearts before you and to recognize, Lord, that we are dependent upon you and waiting for you to minister to us. And we pray that you would do it this morning through this word that you've chosen for us to hear. I pray that my comments would be valuable, but more so, Lord, that the Spirit would take your word and just make direct application to each of our hearts as it's read. We know that it's alive and it's powerful, and we depend upon it, Lord, for those things. May Jesus be lifted up in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A 2010 study by the Barna Group updates a multi-year tracking study explores what Americans identify as their highest priority. In the face of the current economic conditions, many Americans have become more focused on surviving and thriving. When asked to identify their highest priority in life, more Americans mention issues of health, leisure, personal comfort, and lifestyle balance than they did just a few years ago. Fewer adults said faith is their top priority in the 2010 study compared with 2006. Even among some of the most actively involved faith groups, relatively small proportions of adults identify faith as their number one priority. We're going to take a look at King David towards the end of his life. He's old. He's in the grip of failing health. He can't seem to get warm, no matter how many covers they put on him. Lying there in his bed, shivering, we are apt to give him a pass as to his spiritual responsibilities and priorities. But we're going to see in the text that his neglect of spiritual things catches up with him and nearly spells disaster for the kingdom. We'll also see in this story that David had incredible spiritual strength regardless of the deteriorating condition of his health. And he was able to carry out fully his responsibilities as king once he set his heart to it. We're going to look for ourselves in this text to see if we are neglecting or respecting our spiritual responsibilities in the face of life's pressure, uh, pressures and stressors. I'm going to organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, the realities of everyday living can influence you to neglect spiritual responsibilities. Number two, the reality of kingdom living can influence you to respect spiritual responsibilities. Let's take a look at David's neglect first in verses 1 through 14. Now, my initial reaction to this episode was for everybody in it to cut David some slack. I mean, after all, he's old and infirm. Could he really be expected to keep pace 
with his responsibilities? The answer to that turns out to be yes. As he rallies to take care of a situation he has been neglecting for a long time. Let's first see just how weak, how tired, how worn out he was. Verse 1. King David was old, advanced in years, we think around 70. And they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore, his servant said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord, the king. And let her stand before the king and let her care for him. And let her lie in your bosom that our Lord, the king, may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite. And brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her, meaning he had no sexual relations with her. Now they searched for and they found a bed warmer for David. Now before you react to that, let me read you an excerpt from a 2010 news article titled, Holiday Inn Location in London Offers Human Bed Warmer Service, A Staffer to Warm Up Your Sheets. This is a little bit beyond turndown service. They turn down and get in. Uh, so anyway, here's the article. This is real. I, I, I looked on several sources. Thought about flying there, but, uh, you know, just to make sure. But no. Guests who don't want to hop into a cold bed at one English hotel now have a novel way to warm up by enlisting a staff member to do it for them. The Holiday Inn's Kensington, London location will offer a free five-minute human bed warming service next week. So what does a human bed warmer do? A hotel staffer dressed from head to toe in a white fleecy getup that looks like a cross between a footed pajama set and a snowsuit will get into your bed upon request and move around, generating some heat between those chilly sheets. It's akin to having a giant hot water bottle in your bed, Holiday Inn spokesperson Jane Bednall told Sky News. I'm sorry. It is true, though. It it was several news sources, and they had pictures. Look, I think it's creepy they come into your room and turn down your bed and put candy on it, but uh, if you ever had that service... Uh, not those of us who stay at the Motel Six, you know that that's not happening. Uh, but uh, they, there is turndown service, and now there is bed warming service. So uh, I, I think it's kind of creepy, really. But uh, having somebody else moving around in your bed uh, to get it warm. But anyway, now if the Bible Knowledge Commentary is correct, these guys uh, out of Dallas Seminary, they say this. Their decision to provide a young woman who could keep him warm by lying next to him in a bed and also serve as his nurse was in harmony with medical customs of that day. Josephus, a Jewish historian, and Galen, a Greek physician, referred to this therapeutic practice which continued into the Middle Ages. If you ever have a glut of nurses, all they have to do is bring this practice back and uh, no new nurses will sign on, I'm telling you right now. So anyway, this is apparently... Uh, Not just a common practice in ancient times, but a weird practice in modern times as well. So now this bed warmer, apparently common, uh, no sexual component. uh, And the real point isn't that. The real point is David was in pretty bad shape. He was old and bedridden and shivering, but he still had responsibilities. Verse five, then Adonijah The son of Haggith exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. 
And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, what? Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. You remember Absalom. He was the handsome son of David's who had tried to take the kingdom from his father. Adonijah was an Absalom clone in both looks and ambition. The writer hones in on the failure of David to rebuke Adonijah at any time regarding his ambitions or actions. David had a responsibility to deal with his son's behavior, but he neglected to do so. You think David would have taken a different approach with Adonijah after seeing what neglecting Absalom had nearly cost him, but he didn't. It tells me that there may be one particular area in which I shirk my spiritual responsibility for whatever reason. It's something I ought to correct in my walk before it creates a disaster. I don't know if you think the way I do, but I have a tendency to think that if I'm doing pretty good in most areas, that the areas that I'm blowing it in aren't that bad. Hey, after all, you know, two out of three is better than nothing. And, so, and I think what this would point out is that maybe there's a tendency, there's that one area in our life, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's being a good husband, maybe it's at work, you know, where we're just not getting it together. We're focusing on everything else. And we're not, as the Bible says in uh, Ephesians, we're to walk circumspectly, which actually means to walk around everything uh, at the same time. And so we're, we're to pay attention to all of the areas of our life. David just, we haven't made a big deal about it because it's so obvious. David just not a very good disciplinarian as a father. I mean, you would think a guy with his skill and his ability and, I mean, he was a poet and he could sing and he could make instruments and he could kill people and giants. I mean, you know, he was a, he was a respectable guy. You would think he would sit down with his sons and you know, he had molded a 400 men who were weird into a massive fighting force, mighty men. He spent time, but his own sons, he, he just, he just, he found it too difficult to raise his own sons and he just left them alone. And it was a disaster. So maybe that's it for you. Maybe that's it for me. We're just not paying attention at home. Or we're not paying attention. So it could be that there's that one area and you think, well, I'm, not, you know, I'm doing all right everywhere else. You know, I'll get to that. By the time you get to that, some things may be ruined. And so that's a one exhortation to take from this. Verse 7. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shemai, Riah, and the men who belonged to David, uh, the mighty men, were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. Factions and divisions are always wrong among God's people. Never join with or throw in with those who have an agenda that splits people, even if they tell you it's for everyone's ultimate benefit, because it's just not. God doesn't want... God, the character of the Lord is to build a body of people, to put a building together. It is not to split people into different factions. I'm not saying there can't be problems that need to be dealt with in a, any particular group of Christians, but the answer is never to split into different factions uh, that war with one another. And so this is a big red flag uh, that something is wrong. 
Adonijah was acting as if David had appointed him his heir and successor. It threatened the stability, maybe even the very existence, existence excuse me, of the kingdom of Israel. And so verse 11, Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Come, please let me now give you advice that you may save your own life in this life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my Lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me. He shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. Now, don't they realize that David was old and infirm? Didn't they know he was bedridden and shivering? Cut him some slack. But no, they didn't cut him any slack. No matter his condition, they expected David to respect his spiritual responsibilities. What I'm calling the realities of life always exert a powerful influence upon you to think that you can neglect certain spiritual responsibilities or to at least push you in that direction. You and I are busy. You and I get overwhelmed. We get sick. We come to crossroads in our lives. We experience powerful stressors in our lives. The list could go on and on and on in terms of the realities of life and everyday living. But rather than neglecting spiritual responsibilities, in those realities of life is when you can see most clearly that spiritual things must be your top priority. Rather than be overwhelmed by them, we need to meet them spiritually. We've seen in our studies that David exhibited a pattern of neglecting the disciplining of his boys. It almost cost him the kingdom once and now it was happening again. And so, again, I would say, is there something you and I have been neglecting? Some spiritual responsibility? If the answer is yes, God's revealing it to you so that you can deal with it right now, right where you're at in your supposed weakness, regardless of the realities of your life that may be influencing you to feel comfortable neglecting it or to put it on the proverbial back burner. Get to it. Quit procrastinating. Rise to the occasion. That's what David does from a terrible sickbed of affliction. It's amazing how the Lord is going to empower him in verses 15 through 53 uh, to respect his spiritual responsibility. So let's take a look at that. God didn't heal David. He didn't even really get him up out of bed. He didn't have one particularly good day that he could deal with this. No, right from his sickbed, while shivering, with his teeth chattering, David took care of spiritual business. In his weakness, God did what? He proved himself strong. Verse 15, So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. The king was very old. And Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. And then the king said, what is your wish? And then she said to him, my Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, assuredly, Solomon, your son shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. So look now, Adonijah has become king and my Lord, the king, you do not know about it. He's offered, uh, excuse me, sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar, the priest and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, my Lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. 
Otherwise, it will happen when my Lord the King rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Bathsheba treated David as if he was seated on his throne in his throne room. She was in his bedroom. He was being tended by his nurse. He was in intensive care, as it were. And she came in and she entreated him as the king and treated him as the king and uh, let her request be made known. It almost seems selfish as if she's ignoring his condition and putting undue pressure on him just to have her son promoted. The truth is, David had promised this some years ago, but he had neglected telling anybody about it or telling the right people about it uh, for whatever reason. And so, you know, David, he's like us. I mean, you know, he's the man after God's own heart, but he's very much like us. They're just things that he neglected in his spiritual life, and this was one of them. And so Bathsheba goes in and she treats David as if he's the king because he was and that he's in good enough health to deal with this, even though he's not. If that's my reaction, if I'm thinking that she's selfish and putting pressure on him, then I'm missing the point entirely. David was still king. Regardless of his physical condition, God had not released him from his serving. If anything... Being so close to dying, so close to stepping into the kingdom of heaven, as it were, David ought to have been more focused on spiritual responsibilities than ever. David was a short timer. He didn't have very much longer. He didn't have an opportunity to ignore these issues of succession, and yet he continued to do so. I know, you know, I'm a big baby when I get sick. I'm just the biggest baby. I want to go to intensive care when I have a cold. If any real illness befalls me, I'm in serious trouble. I don't know what to do with it. And and I just want to forget everything. And, uh, you know, just, you take care of it. Sorry, sorry, can't do it. But over the years, I've learned that it's amazing what a bunch of Tylenol can do. Especially the internet, now you can always find the maximum dosage of these pills. And not that I would recommend anybody do that, but, uh, you know, and you power through some things that you have to do if you can. I mean, there's obviously some things, you know, when you're in a coma, there's not much you can do, for, you know, until you wake up. But, uh, you know, the point is, David, he was able to do this. And uh, I know it's an exaggeration, but God is telling us, uh, you know, we are more than able. None of us are in a, I don't hear any chattering teeth. I mean, there's probably some infirmities here. There's some afflictions. There's obviously lots of stress and pressure, especially if you have any money in the stock market. If you have a job with the government, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stress. And and God is pointing his finger on this and saying, hey, there's a tendency in all of us to 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 ignore certain things that seem a little trivial compared to this, when in reality, they're very important spiritually. They affect the lives of uh, others in our household and those around us. And no matter how weak you are, uh, God can be strong on your behalf. In fact, the weaker you are, in some cases, the better. And so David, he should have been thinking about eternity. You and I ought to be thinking about eternity. The truth is, even if you have no stress in your life, there's maybe one or two days in your life when there's no stress in your life. You've got a good job, money's coming in, things are paid for, your health, you know, and everything's just kind of clicking. You're going to step in front of a bus and get killed that day, probably. You know, I mean, there's always something. You don't know how long you have to live. And so we need to attend to these spiritual responsibilities as they come up. Don't put them off. 
Verse 22, and just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, here's Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look. They're eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. He has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Nathan called David out for having told, uh, for not having told who should sit on the throne after his death. He ignored David's physical disabilities and held him accountable for his spiritual responsibilities as king. By the way, there's a whole separate study here we don't have time for. If you're ever treated this way, to have the heart of a servant. You ever been just out of it? You're tired, you're sick, you're whatever. You've got stress in your life like you can't believe. And somebody is depending on you to do something and they call you and they're putting their problems onto you. What's your reaction to that? I know what my initial reaction to that is. And then I know what my spiritual reaction ought to be. And God is saying, hey, this is the time. You know, we like to go around saying when I am weak, then he is strong. And you know when that proves itself? When you are weak in ways that you don't uh, understand but now have been brought into. I mean, philosophically, I love to say when I'm weak, God is strong. And on a philosophical basis, I know that I'm weak and he's strong. But then I find myself sick and infirm and pressed in on all sides. And life is falling apart and there's so much stress. You wonder how you can walk because, you know, you think, man, I'm a, I'm all of those symptoms. I have all of the stroke symptoms, you know, that kind of a thing. And then somebody calls you and they say, I have a problem. I need your help. And it's stressful. And you want to just hang up. But you can't because the Lord is saying, this is your moment of weakness. And guess who's going to be strong in this? And what a, what a joy, what a glory it is. You know? And, and, and even to have a good attitude about it, not to go, all right. You know, that kind of a thing. So that's what we're looking at here. And so this is a sort of snap out of it moment for David. How would he respond? Would he ask Abishag to lie down in bed because all this stress is making him extra cold? He says, get out of here, I need... Nurse, get in here. Or would he act like the king everyone knew he was? Like Simba in The Lion King. Anyway, uh, verse 28. Then David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress... Just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my mule and take him down to Gihon and let Zadok, the priest and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel, blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. 
Then you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. As the Lord God has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. By the way, yesterday we were at a Bible study at family camp in the evening and Jacob was teaching. He's prayed for the Bible study and then he said, Amen. And then about 15 seconds later, uh, uh, my grandson, little Gino, he goes, Amen. It was so precious, you know. I had the ushers remove him, but... Uh, no, that's not true, but I thought about it. So anyway, wow, the minute David determined to face the situation, the Lord gave him wisdom and empowering to do so. The minute. And so David, I don't know if he was even thinking about this or, you know, maybe he was like, man, I'm so cold. I just, I can't get warm. Maybe if I can get warm, you know, whatever. And then when he finally sets his heart on it, God empowers him and he makes these decrees right from his sick bed. Our age and infirmities, obviously very debilitating. The stressors in our lives can knock the wind out of us, but we can, in God's strength, rise to the occasion and complete our spiritual responsibilities. I hope you're encouraged by this. Neglect is not an option. Verse 38, so Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you're a prominent man, and bring good news. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent him with Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites. They have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. And Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name. And may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid, arose, and each one went his own way. I like the notation in verse 47, Then the king bowed himself on the bed. When? After he'd taken care of spiritual business. Apparently he propped himself up on the bed, took care of this situation, and when it was well in hand, he laid back down into his illness. Let's put it this way. He didn't need rest so he could be more spiritual. He needed to be spiritual and then he could rest. And that's kind of an interesting way of looking at our whole life. We need to be spiritual, walking with the Lord, and then we will rest. 
You ever heard the line? I've heard it in several movies before. I can rest when I'm dead. It's something people say, given the idea that, hey, I, you know, eternity's a long time. I want to work now. You and I can rest when we're alive in heaven. Right now is the time to work, to work through infirmity, to work through stress, to work through all of these things and to respect our responsibilities. The joys of eternal life, the empowering from it, overrule the so-called realities of life. David did what he was gifted and called upon to do. Age, infirmity, shivering, none of it was of any consequence when you factored God back into the equation. Are you feeling weak and stressed and overwhelmed? From one point of view, you are weak and stressed and overwhelmed, and you always will be. What, are you gonna, what you're going through is real, but it's not the only reality, and it's not, in one sense, the real reality. Eternity is more real than uh, anything else, and rather than shrink away from gifts and callings in your weaknesses, God shows himself strong. Now, Adonijah, verse 50, was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took, the whole, uh, took hold of the horns of the altar, and it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. For look, he's taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with a sword. Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go. To your house. Now, the symbolism of taking hold of the altar's horns seems to have meant that as God had been gracious to man, so one man should be gracious to another man who had offended him. David's neglect over a long period of time brought him and the entire kingdom of Israel to the brink of disaster. David's respect for his spiritual responsibilities quickly righted things. Something the Apostle Paul wrote might provide commentary on this episode in the life of David. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where he said, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. And that certainly describes David, doesn't it? His outward man was perishing, but he didn't lose heart. Or in his case, we would say he regained his heart as God strengthened it. For our light affliction, Paul says... It's but for a moment, working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are only temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so your outward man or woman is perishing. This encompasses all the kinds of things we've seen in David and more, age and infirmity. But Paul goes even further and mentions affliction. He had in mind persecutions and sufferings and trials on account of your serving the Lord. Through it all, he said, we ought to understand that our inward man is growing and being strengthened as we are becoming more and more Christ-like according to the will and the plan of God. Look to what you can yet accomplish for the kingdom of God despite the realities of life because your real reality is eternal. It's in the heavens. Let's pray.